What's up, everybody? Welcome into the week two Tuesday Track Talk podcast. My name is Kellen. I'm your Jackman with the crew. I'm Cam. I'm one of the tire changers. And I am also Cam. I am your gas man. So we got uh, quite the episode for you guys today. Everything from breaking news in the truck series to Lucas Oil Dirt Late Model Racing. So we're going to kind of change surfaces a little bit here and talk a little dirt racing. We'll finish up touching on the previous weekend's NASCAR Cup Series playoff race at Texas. So um, got a little little gamut of everything for everybody um in this podcast coming up this week so before we get started uh what's new guys what do we non-racing topics what do we got for you guys here before we get into the the nitty-gritty i mean i had an atrocious week in fantasy i mean that's (laughs) i went from the highest highs like i said last week to absolute rock bottom this week and damn near everything (laughs) <laughs> i thought i was gonna sneak it out in football and i didn't even get that <laughs> just no, atrocious nothing new here um living the american dream got going to going to in fantasy in one league finally squeaked out a win so we're on the board but uh no, nothing crazy. Badgers got a win Friday night. Packers got a ugly win, but here we are. We got a lot of dirt racing. Went from yeah. uh, went from squealing the tires on the blacktop last week to uh, ripping the cushion this week. And last night, the high limit series at Lernerville was just awesome. Um, Awesome show, Kyle Larson and Brad Sweet, the Hammers, jumping the cushion late. Then we we got Castro, Flow Flo Racing Night in America going right now. It's hard not to talk about racing. Oh, yeah, it's, you talk about the dirt racing. We go from Kyle Larson on two wheels in a sprint car on what felt like the verge of going off the racetrack man to save that and then if you haven't been tuned in yet tonight to watch the castle super late models tonight uh to say there were some hurt feelings in heat race one was an understatement as ricky thornton jr and tim mccready got together on lap one turn one corner one of heat races and they smashed some stuff up so um if you if you haven't if you don't have flow um I yeah, wasn't yeah. necessarily invested in it, but I got flow in it. It was worth it in about 12 hours. So if, if you don't have flow racing and you're a racing guy or gal, you can turn on any night of the week and have flow. I mean, we were just talking before the podcast. You have what we call crazy carts or Mount Olympus in Wisconsin um, <laughs> at Stafford Speedway. You got five to seven year olds racing go karts. If you want to watch the little tykes go at it on a Monday night, tune into crazy carts. But uh flow racing, that's that'll pay for itself in the first day you watch. So absolutely worth your investment to uh check in the flow. So yeah, at this point it's pretty much my cable television. Yep. <laughs> absolutely at work they're like yeah what do you watch on tv 
Well, have you ever heard of flow racing? Well, <laughs> well, you should, because that's what I watch for TV. Yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> so, so yeah. kind of building on that, speaking of flow racing, flow racing has all of the Lucas Oil dirt super late model races. So they are they broadcast all of those races. This past weekend, they were at Brownstown Speedway for um, their series race. We're going to talk more so on the Friday night side, or the Saturday night side of things, I'm sorry, but Friday night, um, you had Mikey Marler winning your CJ Rayburn feature for 12,000 to win with um, Ricky Thornton Jr. finishing second. So those are your top two for your feature on Friday, but Saturday night, I think you have a, a much bigger storyline. Um how did you guys feel before we get into the details? How did you guys feel about the feature on Saturday night? I mean, I thought anytime you anytime you get into a hundred lap dirt race, um, you're talking about a balancing act of managing your stuff, keeping the car clean, and just being there at the end. Um, and then just some interesting storylines, I think, just with some of the guys that were starting up front. So going into it, it was, I mean, Corey Hedgecock started P3 in that 100 lap feature. That's somebody who, no offense, but haven't really ever heard of him. Um, and he started on the second row of, uh, of 100 lap. You're um, in. Yeah, he did run well. He started P3 and he finished P5. So, Oh, um, interesting thing, if you don't know dirt racing, anything about Corey Hedgecock, he runs um, what they call a BMF chassis, which they build themselves, and it is a bad MFR is literally what they call a BMF chassis, and then the engines they build themselves also as well, um, and they call those an Eagle engine. So an interesting storyline, you talk about a guy competing with some tour guys on I don't you know if you consider it home built stuff, but they are tweaking those chassis themselves. So that's kind of a cool deal for him to start up front and run well. Yeah, and uh, I think to also to that, it's. I mean, I feel like it's a story every week. Is is anybody going to have anything for Ricky Thornton Jr.? Um, I feel like that's a storyline every single week. Um, so. <clears throat> Yeah, it was definitely interesting. And then you kind of turn back the page a little bit on Friday night and Van Grohl is going to perk up when we start mentioning Nick Hoffman. Um, (laughs) That was a world outlaws guy that showed up on Friday night and qualified quick, started on the pin and had a solid run, ended up jumping the cushion a little bit there. And Mikey snuck by to get that win. But that was a world outlaw guy that, you know, he's solid, but you don't see him in some of these big shows running up front a lot. So um, I think it was, yeah, kind of a wild night to be honest uh, with some of the names. There was also, I think his name was Michael Chilton in the 97. Again, I've never heard of, and he was starting in the fourth row. So yeah, it was a wild night to say the least. Absolutely. So kind of building off of that, um, when you look at the start of that feature, um, 
your season point leader, Ricky Thornton leaves, leads the first 54 laps. Um, and you get your caution at lap 54, 55, however they scored it with Mikey Marler blowing a right rear. Um, do we think Mikey Marler had enough to catch him or was he burning up everything trying to catch Ricky? And on the other hand, was Ricky burning up his stuff trying to stay ahead? Um, what, what do we feel like the scenario was there? Damn, I mean, um, you watched the race, so. I think that's kind of a, a twofold question. I think he was closing the gap on him a little bit. Um, and we've kind of talked about this back and forth, you know, Hoosier has not had a good couple weeks um, on the dirt scene with tires. So was it a tire issue? Or was Mikey just being that hard on his equipment and was he burning his stuff up? With 50 laps to go, I don't you don't think these guys at this level at 50 laps to go are burning their stuff up trying to get trying to you know close the gap. You gotta not that you want to, but bank on something happening and a caution coming out and regroup, but um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I he easily could have, but uh, I have a hard time believing that Mikey really was burning it up, um, trying to get to him with, you know, forty five laps to go. It's a long, long ways to go, and you're figuring you're going to catch lap traffic, and hopefully Ricky gets caught up in that, and you know, there you are. You haven't burned your stuff up, and you're on his bumper. That's true. You know, what the the whole tire deal, too, I mean, like you said, you've seen problems from Hoosier all year as far as the tire goes. And it's not even just on the late model scene, too. It's on the sprint car scene that you just literally see the tread just getting ripped off of the base of the tire. You know, again, is it based off of guys running too hard? Sure. I mean, you see it in the Cup Series. The guys are running on the absolute thin line as far as those tires and they blow you know it could be the same situation there but again it could be the quality of the tire but i also think with how established hoosier tire is it's they would have something to say if there was an issue or at least have mm -hmm. a solution in mind and in place if there was an issue at hand yeah so kind of kind of that's a very good point and I, I like the relation to the cup series is I think you look at the comparables with both the Cup Series and Hoosier with the dirt. They're in similar situations, I would say, in the sense of, yes, Hoosier brought out this new super late model tire for the national tours that there, there's very small changes in, in the tire selection you have. But NASCAR is also in that same spot with this new wider tire. Um, do we, we maybe don't really know at a certain track or a certain compound or a certain surface, um, what those repercussions really are. So that's, that's a super good point. Um, especially knowing where both of these series are. So, um, kind of comparing those in parallels is, is a cool avenue to look at from that standpoint. So, um, going in a little deeper into the race, um, 
if you watch the race, uh, you had Hudson O'Neill, who <laughs> the dude damn near left the property trying to make that pass <laughs> on Ricky Thornton for the lead, and he led a few laps. But you go to these dirt these dirt tracks, and they're a little different than your asphalt tracks, where there's some you go to may not have a retaining wall to keep you in the property, and he let that right rear hang out, and the left rear left the ground, and he had to keep his right foot in it to stay on the property. Um, so entertaining alone, just watching the pass for the lead um, with uh, arguably two of your best three dirt super guys this year with Thornton and O'Neill thrown at it. Um, but then you look later into the race, um, there was a restart with, 10 or 12 to go kind of in that neighborhood. Um, Ricky Thornton Jr. takes the lead with 14 to go in the race. Um, and something we don't see very often is Jonathan Davenport going a lap down with 13 to go in the race. Um, and it, it's kind of an interesting storyline in itself in the sense of we don't see Jonathan Davenport in this scenario a lot. Um, he was running the top, which he, he has openly said he does not like to do. Um, but he goes a lap down and then he pulls off run around at full speed. Um, he pulls off and there was a few, at least on X or Twitter, we call it now that were kind of after him a little bit about pulling off of, we, we wanted to see her on the race. We came here to see her on the race. What are your guys' thoughts on on his decision at that point in the race? Well, I think we've seen a handful of times in every series and any t- racing discipline that, you know, lap traffic is going to be something that you deal with. And, you know, sometimes that comes back to bite you as far as, you know, maybe you're fighting for the lead. That lap car gets you in your way and it costs you the lead. I'm sure Davenport has been in that position several times where he's been fighting for a win and maybe that lap car gets in the way or it helps him win that race as well. So he understands that side, you know, being on the leader side of it. And mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen it on the ASA tour earlier this year uh, with lap car ended up wrecking the leader and cost him the race in the middle of the race. <laughs> so, I mean, with 13 laps to go, he already ran a portion of a good portion of that race there probably isn't a lot of position left to gain you're not it's not like you're waiting for a couple laps to run to gain one or two positions i think you pretty much got everything you're probably going to get out of that race you know i think it's a smart decision he's not tearing up any stuff he's not tearing up anybody else's stuff again you're not gaining a position it's just you got everything you're going to be able to get out of that race yeah and i think to your point i did see the guy on X that called him out and said he drove so far with his son to see Jonathan Davenport and Jonathan Davenport was pouting and he pulled off and you saw Davenport's response was my so-called pouting was out of respect um, for the leaders. And Cam, I think you hit the point, hit the nail on the head is you could clearly tell he missed it on the setup bad. He's riding around on the top, which he don't normally doesn't do unless he absolutely has to. He's not – his car just did not look quick at all. And like you said, I think it's a lose-lose for him. He's got nothing to gain 
by running those last 14 laps. He's not, if what, he's going to gain one position or two positions, great. He went from 16th to 14th. So that's a loss right there. Mm-hmm. Then you go to the other side of it. You, He's probably been on the other end of it. You do not, under any circumstance, want to be a lap down and be a determinant in the race winner. You do not want to be a reason somebody wins or loses a big race like that. And, you know, I believe it was out of respect and I'm sure there was a ton of emotions and inside that helmet. Um, it probably was respect, um, probably with a couple cuss words too, after riding around for 80 laps and not moving. So, um, I truly do believe it was out of respect and the guy caught him out for being pouting. I mean, yeah, he probably was a little bit pissed. Um, that's a guy that shows up and expects to win. And when you're riding around in 16th, that doesn't sit well. And then you get a lap down. No. Um, don't wreck your stuff. Don't wreck anybody else's stuff. And for the love of the Lord, do not be a reason somebody wins or loses a race. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Probably been on the other end of that too many times. And, you know, it is what it is. It wasn't his night. He admitted it, got out of the way, and let the big dogs throw sliders at each other and duke it out. So, no, I think it was – it is what it is. Um, I think it was out of respect. Absolutely. So, we kind of look at that, and <clears throat> RTJ goes on to win that race, or Ricky Thornton Jr. wins that race. Um, so, kind of going off of that, that decision of Jonathan Davenport to pull off, and you look at the handful of people that maybe had taken a shot at him on social media, as the three of us have been to a race, even a crown jewel at that point in Cedar Lake with the USA Nationals, I think when you look at some of these fans who haven't maybe taken in the full experience, and I think the three of us can attest to this, if you go visit these guys at the trailer after the race, yes, they're working on their race cars and they they still have business to do. But if you take the time to be at their merch trailers for the autograph sessions or you spend time to go get a shirt signed or a hero card signed at the end of the night, these dirt guys are down to earth and they know that at the end of the day, they are we are the reason they are there to support them and they make it known. So there's a lot to be said for them guys. And, and I think you guys can attest to this as well. Um, they know that they want you there to support them in whatever capacity that is. So um, I think it, it it's a little bit of a controversial situation in the sense of, Maybe you need to go see the guy because the pits open after the races. Everybody can walk in there, go in there and ask him, mm. let, let him, let him tell you what was going on inside the helmet. Because at the end of the day, you weren't inside that helmet. So, um, and I'll let you guys kind of speak on this as well. When we were at Cedar Lake, uh, those drivers from those national tours were absolutely phenomenal to talk to. And I will I will attest to that to anybody that talks about racing in any sense. So um, why don't you guys go ahead and just kind of touch on a few experiences we had with those guys. 
Wow. First, first. first and foremost, I probably wouldn't fire away that question at Jonathan Davenport about why he pulled off after, after a race <laughs> like that. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's one of these right here. That's a head scratcher. <laughs> yeah, you'd probably fire off a few choice words. <laughs> um, but no, I think, um, yeah, when we were at Cedar Lake, um, and you alluded to it, I mean, these guys, yes, they do have some bigger name sponsors behind them, but they're not NASCAR guys that have big time contracts and are getting paid big bucks. Like you look at us right now and all the gear that we're wearing, like this is why they are who they are. Like they rely on us to buy their merch, to show up, to support them. Like, and I think they just realize and acknowledge that, that like, Hey, like these people are here to see us. If I stay and take a picture with them, Next week, they might go buy a shirt. They might go back to my merch trailer tomorrow, buy a hat. Um, so, no, our experience at Cedar Lake, at least, um, those guys were awesome. I mean, in every one of them, we saw we saw a lot of people after the race. And those guys stand out there, regardless if it goes good or bad, smile on their face they'll take a picture with you they'll sign your shirt though you can even chat with them for a little bit and i think it just it's awesome for the fans and that's what draws people back when you have people like that that will take the time to sign a shirt sign a card take a picture with you like for us i mean shit we watch these people on tv four nights a week. And it's like, that's almost like seeing Aaron Rodgers racing to us. <laughs> so yes, it really the, is. like for us, like, and I think they, that's why they do it is they realize, you know, a lot of people watch the races and look up to them and yeah, they're every one of them. Um, fantastic. No shade on Jonathan Davenport, but we stood around his hauler for a long time and he did not come out. <laughs> <laughs> but no. no, that was hey, that was Friday night. It, it wasn't feature night, so you can't blame the guy. Well, All do you remember buddies. Saturday night though, too? We had Chase along and Chase we're like, Oh, do we want to go in the pits again? And we're like, Well, we spent a lot of time in there Friday night getting a lot of signatures and whatever. We're like, well, let's go back and Chase is like, yeah, I want to hit the road. And we're like, well, we haven't seen Jonathan. We stood there for like 15 minutes and nothing. But who knows? You don't you don't know what they got going on personally. Yeah. Personally and behind the scenes. So, but no, those guys, um, hands down, um, awesome people to be around, talk with. They are fantastic. I think having having the experience of getting down into the pits after the races is just worth the, the price of admission itself. Um, you know, I go to a lot of the local short tracks and they always have that offer of, you know, going down to the pits after the races to meet the drivers. Um, and especially when you get the kids involved, I mean, that's, you know, those are the heroes. They don't, they don't care that, you know, these guys are ranchers or, or farmers, you know, carpenters, you know, anything like that outside of the race car you know, all they know is that they're a race car driver and those are the heroes. And so to have them have that opportunity to go see their heroes, it just 
solidifies that whole deal. You know, like you said, you get to chat with them, you get to see what's going on and what happened with the car. It's just, it, it's a great experience and it's, it doesn't make, you're not starstruck type of thing. It's you're able to just go up, have a chat with them and know that they're just, they're just one of you that, that are fortunate enough to be able to have, uh, drive race cars for a living. For sure. And we got that. I, I won't list names, but we got that firsthand experience when we talked to one particular driver and to say he wasn't a fan of the other was an understatement, um, <laughs> but they, yeah. were, they were both there and they run that same series the same, but they both, when you talk to them, Hey, thanks for coming out. Appreciate you're here. And they'll sign a shirt. They'll sign a hero card. They'll do all that stuff for you. So even in the event they have, have a little run in with somebody that they don't care for when the car is in the trailer, they, they will come out and they will talk to you. So um and that guy in particular should be at least thankful because one of us three bought a pan a door panel <laughs> right near quarter panel yeah. so um got no introduced to the lifestyle it's it, it becomes an addiction <laughs> at the end of the day <laughs> and i think yeah kind of tying that conversation up those guys realize it i mean yeah you can't yeah. see all the panels but yeah we've spent our fair share on panels those panels aren't cheap and no they realize that like you said we're a big part of their living um fans are a big driver of the money they make so no like you said i think van girl you made a good point too like at the end of the day they got a living outside of it and they just realized that hey we're just like them but i'm fortunate enough to to get to drive a race car um on the weekend so yeah so that that kind of wraps up what is our our lucas oil segment of of this episode two um any any final i saw the finger go up any final Final thoughts on the Lucas Oil before we head to the Cup Series for NASCAR playoffs. Ooh, hold up real quick here. One just took a tumble here in the Lucas Oil. Oh. Went over a few handful of times. So oh. tire fly off here too. Um, Go ahead, Cam, since I know you've got a, a topic on mind. No, I don't have a specific topic on mind, Mikel. We were kind of talking to it before. On that Saturday night feature, we we're talking about, you know, was Mikey using up his stuff or, you know, whatever. What, somebody that I will say I think used up his stuff is Hudson O'Neill. That guy yeah. lives and dies by the cushion, running around the top, and he just burns it. And he's somebody that took the lead, you know, late, led, what, 15, 20 laps. And I think that was – he was trying to set a blistering pace. Obviously he was because he went from 10th to first, but Ricky was out there just kind of riding around and Hudson led a handful laps. And then it was like, all of a sudden Ricky's like, all right, it's go time. I can start burning my stuff up. And then it's just like fishing. Ricky's just reeling them in and it didn't take long. And all of a sudden Ricky's back on top. So, um, yeah, that was somebody that I did think 
um, when we were talking about burning stuff up. Hudson O'Neill, I think, definitely did. And good for him, though. He went 10th to 1st, so he had a piece to do it. But um, maybe used it up just a bit too soon. Yeah. And I think we've seen that and kind of talking about that a little bit. I'll, I guess I'll kind of steer the conversation a little bit um, with that. You know, you see the crossover between the Lucas Oil and the World of Outlaws guys for a lot of crown jewels. And you could say Bobby Pierce and Hudson O'Neill have probably had two or three of the best finishes of the year when you thought, and we were even there for one at Cedar Lake. The, the finishing deficit or the finishing gap was what? 0. 0.07 or something 0. 0.007 yeah, the front nose oh it was like they were like like this much literally um so that you know um that's every corner and lap and second and time on throttle and time on brake really just means that much so um that's pretty cool side note that was the number five he went upside down and he went over three times there at a five star. Um, he, Mikey Marler was outside of him. He got, I'm assuming I was trying to avoid Mikey Marler. He got turned down and that car got wedged. He got turned sideways and the other car went underneath him and just turned him upside down. Side note, Jonathan Davenport was one car ahead of him. So um, again, he, he comes out ahead of what was a disaster. So that Van Grohl, I appreciate that call, man. Guys got eyes everywhere all the time. Um, Hey, one other final point on Lucas. I I saw today, ironically, um, I was scrolling through an X and I don't know how credible the source is. uh Oh, yeah. Wild statistic coming at you. Um, Don't fact check me. Um, (laughs) But I read, I read something on, Ricky Thornton Jr., as much as he won, I believe it's got to be close. But at this point last year and this point this year, Ricky Thornton Jr. has won $593,000 more than he did last year. Just imagine getting a $593,000 pay raise. Wow. Wow. I mean – that puts into perspective the run that that guy is on. Um, yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> incredible. And we're not done yet either. <laughs> and we're not no. done. And he's no. likely going to get the $200,000 payday to win the series. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's going to put him over at $800,000 right. in Lucas Oil alone. Well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. I didn't because I didn't fully. On, on the year. Down. On the year. Uh, well. Yeah. But, on the year, but he's a primarily Lucas guy. But at the end of the day, if we got a five hundred thousand dollars pay raise between the three of us, this would be the full time gig, and we <laughs> we will be got streaming right. on Twitch with the iRacing Sims and the whole works, and we'll be going live every single day. So if, if be the you're racing at, version of Pat McAfee, a hundred percent the scenario. So if anybody's looking to get us into that realm, we're here for you. Just. You just let us know. <laughs> Shameless <take> plug. <laughs> I think we could take half of that and make it work, but yeah, yeah. I just saw that. I just saw that stat today. I'm like, we've known how much he's won this year, and we just yeah. haven't been able to put a dollar amount. I wish I would have looked into the credibility and 
saw it, but yeah. Well, he's, he's I'd say it's pretty believable. $593,000 more. He's, he's year than he did it last year. And again, like for him, he he's having a, a Jonathan Davenport type of year from last year. The, uh, it doesn't matter where he goes. When he unloads, you're going to have to think he's going to be a favorite. He unloads tonight, and he's quick time in qualifying for Castro. Like, anywhere he goes, he just – and I think Van Grohl, you and I have talked about this. When it's going good, it's going really good, oh. and you got the smile on your face, and you unload you're, that race car, and you just dangerous know – dangerous man. Oh, he, you just know you're going to have a shot to win. It, yep. It, it just – it doesn't matter because your, your bad nights are better than – what could be a lot of guys good nights like yeah. it's you're letting it hang out a little bit more you're having fun your crew is happy like it's just it's just a different feel um but man he again ricky thornton jr is and the funny story is you know they had that scott bloomquist deal with him on that live show and he goes you know, Ricky Thorne Jr., I don't really know anything about him. Uh, he can drive, but he doesn't really know much about a race car. So um, <laughs> coming from Scott Bloomquist, like, uh, he's probably on the Mount Rushmore of dirt late models um, to say that. Ricky, is he's still young in his dirt racing, at least in the late models. Um, yeah. So that's that's pretty cool to be tuned in to witnessing what he's got going on. So in the blue yeah. point, I mean, Ricky doesn't Ricky doesn't need to know everything about the car. He's hired to drive that thing. He got to know how to drive it. I mean Larson is the first to Kyle Larson's just a good one to point out. He's the first to admit he doesn't know jack shit about that race car, but he knows how to drive them. Yep. And yeah, here's what I need coming off of turn two. You adjust it and I'll wheel it. Yep. And that's what he's hired to do, and he's done a dang good job of it. For sure. Sweet. So that's kind of a wrap on, on what's been dirt. Um, so let's let's go ahead and talk NASCAR Cup Series, Texas race, playoffs. Um, I guess to kind of open this up, I'm going to go ahead and turn this to you guys. What, what, what are your thoughts, your initial reactions? Um, to both the race and then the playoff implications for what was the Texas race. Uh, I want to talk about the race itself a little bit. Uh, mile and a half and the two miles have not disappointed this year, to say the least, you know, in the past couple of years or even the previous versions of the car, you know, the mile and a half were boring and drawn out and the the road courses and the short tracks were the the you know the money makers as far as the the season goes and now it's it's flip-flopped those mile and a half those two miles are putting it in texas was always a bad track got a bad rap but it put on a good race this time of year you know it was still a, a bottom features type of track but if a guy could make it could get the outside set up he could run that outside line or at least hold his own and it was a lot of, I don't know, it just, it, it felt like a really good race. It kept you entertained. There was a lot of lead changes in that race. Guys that you thought weren't going to run good, ran good. 
I mean, Larson was running up front, and all of a sudden, there he went, gone, out of it. <laughs> so I thought the race itself was really good. It put Texas yeah. back on the map of why they should be on the schedule. Um, yeah. and I, I look forward to more races there. Yeah, I think you, before we get into kind of some of the details, from a pure racing product, I think, Van Grill, you hit it on the head. Um, again, you, from a fan perspective, you never want a track that gets one laned, whether it's top or bottom. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. I think all year the mile and a halves have not been that, which makes an awesome product. And Texas was a prime example. Yeah. You had guys running a couple different lines. To your point, Larson there for a while, he had it set up, you know, two or three lanes off the bottom he could run. And he was cooking, you know, stay in the middle of stage two there, ended up winning stage two. That was somebody who was the first one that dared go up there (laughs) and start running it. And he did. And he drove it to the front. And for those, those mile and a half, that's the kind of racing product that we need and want to continue to see guys running different lines. There's three lines of racing. And if you're set up for all three, you can run all three. And that's what we need. Um, So yeah, a lot of different strategies, stage points going for the win. Um, But from a pure racing product, that was, um, that was a dang good product. And I think when you kind of look at this, we want to tie our our kind of our previous segment to this is when you look at it, the, I think the dirt side of Kyle Larson there paid off a little bit early. He was a little less afraid to go up where guys hadn't been running because yep. that's what you have to do in the dirt world sometimes, especially with the sprint cars, is you got to be able to run or maybe the groove isn't to find a little speed. And and if you're the first one to do that, you can find some speed. So I think that for him and dirt versus asphalt, it don't make a difference. I, I don't think it, it just, it's in his instinct. It's in his yeah. bones to just make that decision to do that. So um, another guy I mean, that kind of has that courage is Tyler Reddick. And he's got a little bit of that dirt background as well. I'll, Absolutely. And and I think at the end of the day where Kyle Larson was running when, when he wrecked out, I think from a racing standpoint, we're probably lucky that he didn't take out that was Bubba Wallace, correct? Uh yeah, Bubba was on his outside. I we're probably lucky that he didn't take Bubba with him because they were I would even go inches from when Larson lost the rear of that car. Oh, I mean you pro- you couldn't have fit a phone book. They might they might have made even they might have even made contact at that point and were touched when Larson lost that car. So, um, tying the two together, I think that comes a little bit to his instinct of the dirt side of things, which is creates an advantage. And and even the broadcast they talked about it. You got to be the first one to go up there to find speed because. Yep. The leaders are the one that they're setting the pace and they know where it's at right now. But until somebody else finds something that can prove different, 
you got to run where you are. So um, maybe even sometimes being on the lead isn't the greatest thing for your car because you don't know what to change. So, and I think kind of a, kind of off that last point right there, being the leader um, and not knowing what to change. Getting into one of the storylines, that was Bubba Wallace. That was somebody who led the most laps, and when he was out front, had a car that could win. When somebody got around him, it wasn't just one car. The first car that got around him brought a handful of cars with him, and he was somebody that as soon as he got in traffic, that car was not handling great. So what... When we look at the finish for the playoffs, what are our initial reactions to where the playoffs stand at this point in the NASCAR Cup Series going forward with William Byron, who I picked to be your winner? I got that. I struck gold on that one. I told you guys last week. And if, <laughs> if, you, haven't, if you haven't seen last week's episode, go ahead and tune in because I picked William Byron last week to confirm my suspicions. Go check out episode one. Um, how this do we feel about Astro, where the playoffs? Where how do we feel about where the playoffs are with our final four picks? I'm happy if I'm willing buyer, and I'm happy because I'm not worried. I mean, <laughs> you got Talladega and you got the Roval, and everybody except nice. maybe Hamlin are are kind of thinking about Talladega. I mean the one person that stands out for me and one of the notes that we have on here is who's someone that should be worried. I think tricks is one that I'm kind of worried about. He is not having the playoff run that I think any of us expected him to have. And again, you go into Talladega and you go into the Roval, which, you know, two crap shoot races for lack of a better term. You know, he's gotta, he's gotta be a little worried in that camp. You know, Kyle Larson, with him wrecking out last week at at Texas, he is plus two above the cut line for the playoffs right now. Uh Oh. So, I mean, you got some heavy, heavy hitters that are are feeling it. Kyle Busch, same thing. He wrecked out early in that race. He's minus 17 below the cut line right now. So, it's – you're still not safe until they drop that checkered flag at the Roval and you got a, you got a race. So Talladega is going to be interesting, which we could talk about that later, but that's, that's my big thing. There are a lot more playoff implications here and there are guys that I feel like should be worried. Before I get into it, I, sorry, I'm wicked distracted. Hudson O'Neill is using every inch of traffic or every inch of track. <laughs> to try to run down Bobby Pierce, and we just alluded to it, lap traffic is playing a heck of a problem in this race. And we got a caution with five to go, so they're racking them again. So I'm slightly distracted. But no, on your guys' notes about who should be worried, and my pick to win it all, I'm not him, but I am – I'm sweating for him. And it's Kyle Larson. You're sitting at plus two. That's he's been solid all year. And I can tell you one thing. I don't I would not walk into Talladega and feel confident. This many race cars should right here. Zero. <laughs> this many. Yeah. 
Well, one. That's Byron. Damn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Byron, <laughs> there's one. There's many. Right here. Number yep. one. <laughs> but Kyle Larson is somebody in who I picked to win it all. Um, yeah. Now, luckily, he can wheel it, and he's good on road courses in the Charlotte Roval. Hopefully, he'll yep. be able to, to dial it up there, but that is somebody who's in right now, but only being plus two, you're going to Talladega and pulling it up here. Bubba Wallace, you're minus two. Where is Bubba? What's his bread and butter? Oh, he loves those super speedways. He loves restrictor plates. So here we go. Um, Kyle Larson. I'm sweating. Um, Only being plus two. And just out of the fact that you can show up to Talladega and guys pushing so hard and you wreck early and you're done. You're done. So kind of to that point, I guess you're somebody like Kyle Larson, who's plus two, Brad Case plus eight, Ross Chastain's plus 12. All guys that are in limbo. What is the strategy? Uh, ride around, I think ride, ride around in the back and finish. No, you got to get up front and lead. What the big think, one is going to happen, and it's going to take out 20 cars. Yeah, so I so think where, this where is, do you play the game? I think this is for Larson. I think this is where this is where the team strategy comes into play. And I think when you look at where, especially where Hendrick has been with their super speedway package, where they can qualify on the pole or, or sweep the front row, then you could play the game because you don't have a Ford or a Toyota pushing you. You can play the game of maybe somebody like Bowman, who's been really good on super speedways, you get a Larson or a Bowman to qualify in the front row, you can play the game of, hey, all right, here's a situation. When we get to that initial start, I'm going to take off and you're going to slide in behind me. Then you don't have somebody who's not in the playoffs pushing you who needs something more than what you need other than to just lead the race. Now, Again, that comes down to fuel mileage and manufacturers more than anything, especially at a super speedway, because you have to be able to go with your group or you're going to be in trouble and be a lap down. But I think for Larson, Talladega is going to be his his spot to make a little gains. And then on the other side, on the Toyota camp, Martin Truex, he – we've come to find out that he's a road course guy. So I think when you look at it, the Roval is going to be Larson's spot where if he can, or not Larson, Truex, if Truex can just hang on, if he can just hang on through Talladega, I think he's going to be okay to score points to get through the Roval. Um, I think he's shown enough on the road courses that he can be, he can be a guy that he can be very, very serviceable to get through the Roval. So again, it, it's going to take somebody like 
a Bowman or a, an Elliot or somebody like that to help Larson because you know somebody like Denny is going to be pushing so hard that he might be the guy that takes out half the field because he's pushing so hard to get either himself or Bubba or Reddick in that sense too, his 2311 cars to try to get them through that he just pushes to the point where a Chevy or a Ford is just not ready for it because they're not on the same page. So there's, I think there's a million layers to it, but I do think that the qualifying effort of that Hendrick camp is going to help Larson. I kind of, I do like the team standpoint though. And I've got that in mind when I'm thinking about our fantasy picks here coming up, our race picks for, for Talladega that team factor is going to come into mind, but I'll, we'll save that for later on. Um, no, again, it's the discussion, you know, a good discussion is, is all the tracks are, are very well suited for the playoffs. I think they're in good spots. All the tracks are warranted to be in it. You know, maybe a couple of years ago, Texas was kind of that question mark track. And I say that Texas after this race has, solidified a spot at least on the schedule in the playoffs maybe not two dates at the moment but it has its one solidified date and it it, i it can be it can be in the playoffs yeah for sure i don't know if i'm just i know it's not the way kyle larson's gonna play it because he's fearless but if it's me i'm riding around in the back I'm I'm sitting there until stage three, and I'll let these other Joe Schmoes do their thing and wreck half the field, and I'll just cruise right around and wave as I'm going by. And then when it means the most, let's be there. If I'm a crew chief, that's how I'm, or a driver, that's the way I'm playing it, but we know Kyle Larson is absolutely fearless <laughs> behind the wheel. So he's going to be, he's a competitor. He wants to win. He wants to get up front and run laps. So I don't know. It'll be interesting, but. Does anybody really know? I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. No. Nope. And that's what makes it great. And that's been absolutely awesome to see. I do think, so kind of a side note to that, I do think I really do enjoy how this round of the playoffs sets up. You have three drastically different tracks with Texas, Talladega, and the road course. Like, it doesn't suit one driving style that somebody like a Martin Truex could go into the Roval, being a road course guy, and he could win his way through and he's good where your super speedway racer, somebody like a Bubba, he could win his way through because he's good at the super speedways to get in. And then obviously William Byron with Texas has made his money uh, this year on those mile and a half or two miles. So um, I, I love I love having these three different drastic styles in the playoffs um, because 
when you look at this round, you go, nobody's safe until you cross the checkered flag and you get that win. Yep. So I this this round, this round is my favorite round. I'm these three races are gonna be bad to the bone start to finish. And if you think anybody's safe, uh well, after today, William Byron, if you think anyone else is safe, you're far from far from right. So Another headline. Man. Another headline on Texas. Cal, one of your final four picks, Kyle Bush. How we feeling? I kept my eye on him. Really <laughs> crapped out. <laughs> if Channel. again, same situation. If you want to check out last week's episode, I used my superior racing knowledge to keep an eye on <laughs> Kyle Bush. Um, <laughs> right state, wrong track. We're gonna. I'm gonna. I. I'm going to go on a limb here. In Don't some other news, just stop, stop. In some other news today, do we think that this selling of the Kyle Busch Motorsports truck team and Rowdy Manufacturing, do we think that had a role in how he ran at Texas? No. Was his mind was his mind in another place? Was no. he was he a little bit worried? No, once that helmet gets on, he's a whole different person. That's outside the track. No, and yeah, that's outside the track. No, I don't think it did at all. And he was on it when he was came on his radio and said, right front's going down. We got an issue on the right front. And then he got it up to speed and was riding around. And I, did Burnett tell him to just keep going? I yes. think well, I also think Bush kind of diagnosed it himself. I think it might have gone away a little bit, so they yeah. let it go. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit of was, both. Yeah, for sure. Did, did I hear him say, "I'm this"? This will be the last time I'll ever listen to tell let somebody tell me how to drive a race car. I miss that. If he did, huh. uh, well, maybe, I'm gonna tell I, you. I might, I might have been. Maybe that was somebody else. But no, I thought. I thought he was the one that diagnosed. Well, obviously he diagnosed. He had something wrong with the right front, and he got up to speed. Then he was running good laps, and then that right front that he diagnosed uh, came to fruition and ended his day. So I don't know outside of him selling the team, but Cal, how are you feeling? That's uh, one of your final four picks. If I'm going to be honest with you, I don't. I feel terrible about it. <laughs> well, hey, you can join the club. My one, my one final four is gone. I was going to say, who picked Logano? Who picked Slowey? Slowey, uh, I got Rowdy making it further than Slowey. So we're, we're so far, we're in <laughs> the no last. money that we're playing for. Yep. We're in the no money that we're playing for. But, okay, yep. So far, so good. Yeah. Every what did we just reference? Everybody has a chance at Talladega. Yep. And the last time we were at Dega, Bush won. I I'm telling you. Yep. Nope. I'm telling you. He could he could get him. Yep. He could knock himself out of that bottom that easy. Tune in next week to find out that again I picked it right. You did mention that, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of truck news going on, and that's a big one. You know, KBM selling off the team to Spire. What's your fellow's thoughts on that? 
I confused. Uh, I, I think I, I, I moderately agree with that statement, Cam. I think confused a little bit. Yeah. But I do think Spire has made the right moves to be competitive. The second piece they need to this is to be able to put the right guys in the trucks. And I think yeah. where KBM maybe failed a little bit is who they had in their trucks. When you look at it, their driver lineup this year, it was, it was Chase Purdy. It was Matt Mills. Um, like it, it just, I, it didn't seem in my mind. I felt like KBM went from an absolute Toyota pipeline to in two or three years being sold out. Like now I get it. There's an agenda with Kyle Bush and, and Braxton, his son running and, and doing all this other stuff. Now there's an agenda there, but in the same sense, Kyle Bush motorsports went from, you could on any track, you could pick their top, their four trucks to be in the top six, the top eight, the top 10 to now they're kind of in the middle somewhere, but now they're sold out to Spire. So I think it comes down to, who Spire really puts in those trucks is what it's going to be, I think. And now, on the other hand, Chevy does have the upper hand with the development program. Uh, mm. Chevy has stolen everybody in the development program. When you look at even with the recent news of um, Sammy Smith going over to Junior Motorsports, like yep. Toyota's Toyota and Ford both, are going to have to dig deep into their driver development programs to figure out who who's next, who who is going to be the next guy for us. And again, we talked about it last week with the move of um, Josh Berry to the four. Yes. Four got Barry, but I, I think the moves that we've seen now recently is Ford and Toyota are, head over heels behind in their development programs. Well, I mean, look at Gibbs and Xfinity. They have no full-time drivers slotted for next year in any of those cars. So that makes you think that Ryan Truex is going to get a full-time ride. And that's no knock on Ryan Truex, but he also has been a guy that's bounced around to just take rides to be there, right? Like, Man, it, I don't know. It's just you look at those pipelines. So then you go down. It's does somebody like a, a Jesse Love? He's going to be a guy that's going to be a candidate to make a jump. I man, I don't know. Yeah, whatever Chevy is doing with their development, they've done a good job. And at the end of the day, somebody is going to have to leave Chevy to make a step up. That that is going to happen. It's. Chevy can't keep everybody, but at this moment, Chevy's got a grip on everything. What's your fellow's thought? And you mentioned this a little bit, you know, in the group chat, Kel. What's your thought on Bush buying in to RCR? We saw it with Keselowski going to Roush. You know, Gordon yep. was kind of the guy to take over Hendrick. RCR is kind of in that same you know, generation group of owners that 
you know, RCR, he's no spring chicken by any means. Oh. You know, is RCR kind of setting up for the future of RCR with Kyle Bush? What's your guys' thought there? Well, I'm still wrapping my head around the Spire buying the truck series because <laughs> <clears throat> if that, well, it is true. That officially means I lost out to Spire on getting my credit card out twice now. Once on the charter and second Spire, time. Spire literally sweeping all your all your uh, plans get, out from under again, you. I was thinking we could maybe get out the credit card and see if we could buy a cow. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 26% credit card out. See if we can buy Every time from Kyle Busch Racing, yeah, um, a couple couple million dollar increase real quick. Uh, yeah, so that's twice I've lost out to Spire on getting us into the racing scene. But um, no, um, kind of one thought I have wrapped my head around Bush selling the truck team and the RCR, him buying an RCR. I can see it. I can see him doing it. And part of me wonders from his statement about where he's at in his life with his kids and trying to be there for them and his racing career and Braxton's coming up and his racing schedule is getting more demanding. Part of me wonders with that truck program, if he wasn't, if he had half a foot or a foot out the door this year and he kind of just got to the point where he's like, I'm all, I'm my priorities are different places right now. And it's probably a disservice to him and the people in that shop to be in the middle, either all in or all out. And probably found himself in a rock and hard place. since at the end of the day, um sold out but it was very sell so out, sell out one point. place and buy in one buy in another spot i do think this is his final stop in his racing career rcr and yep. i could totally see him buying in and like you guys said that generation of owners he could be the next one the next jeff gordon to run the RCR camp when he steps away. So that is a good point. I don't think you're far off at all, Cam, on him buying in and taking taking that over. So my my kind of thought is, is I compared it to, and this is a little bit of a parallel, but I compared it to an owner-operator in a trucking company. You own the truck and you operate the company, so you're going to drive it and you're going to own the company. I think that's a little bit of where he's at, where I wouldn't be surprised in a year or two if we if we hear news that he's bought into a majority of RCR and pretty soon Brexton's 18, 19, 20, and now he's got a, a majority stake in both the Xfinity program and the Cup program, where Sheldon Creed or... Austin Those Hill. other guys have moved on to other programs where, hey, you look at a Truex is getting older. You look at some of these older cup guys are going to retire and they're going to say, you know what? I, I can't wait any longer. I got to go. 
Yeah. Um, so I think that's the part that to me, I compared it a little bit in parallel that way to be able to understand that, Hey, he's, he's going to be an owner operator and he's in a year, he's going to cash in that KBM check to RCR and say, it's going to be Richard Childress Bush racing, right? Like, then pretty soon he's got a stake in what goes on in all of the programs. Um, One thought that literally just came to mind, you know, Kate, Kyle in the discussions last year, one of the big driving points was he wanted to make sure that KBM was taken care of. Whether it's, you know, if they switch manufacturers, you want to make sure that that manufacturer is going with them. Um, You know, the team was set up, they could run as they wanted to. Hamlin had the same discussions with this team with his 2311. He wanted to make sure that he was setting up that team for success in the few years to come before he made his agreement. Was it kind of maybe to that point where Joe Gibbs was putting that, that pickle, I got to choose one or the other went with Hamlin. So he had to venture out. RCR said, Hey, I can get you. What are you wanting to do with this team? If you want to sell, I can help you sell. And was able to put some stuff together. Damn right. And here's another interesting point. So I looked at their website today before this was all announced. Um, one of their um, associate sponsors was Incredible Bank. So did he have a say or did he have a help in the transfer of the funds or the value of the assets of what was that program? Sure. That was a very interesting one that stood out because it was it was your very obvious sponsors in Chevy, um, and those the other very prominent sponsors. Probably but that Rowdy was what stood out to me. Yeah, you have you have a bank that can value your assets to be able to sell, but now you have Childress who could be your spokesperson to tell you, "Hey, I got somebody that's looking for something," and Kyle Bush comes and says, "Hey." The bank tells me this is what I want it to be. This is what I need to sell it for. Here's a fair deal. So yep. that was very, very interesting. So, yeah, that was that's breaking news as of today, twelve thirty or one o'clock today. So again, the podcast, man, we're just bringing you guys the best of the best in the racing world here. Um, in terms of driver changes because you're going to have to assume Spire is going to put their guys in that, in those trucks. Yep. So um, let's kind of look ahead to this coming weekend here. What, what races are you guys looking at to preview for what's coming up here this weekend? I'm looking at Rockford. I'm actually going to be at Rockford on Sunday. If the weather cooperates on like last weekend, um, it's the it's the last lap for Rockford. They're gonna be shutting down at the end of the year. It's the last yeah. hoorah. They got the national short track championships this weekend, so I'll be there on Sunday. Uh joining them in the last hoorah. Um, this is a big weekend. There's a lot of hype around it. Starts uh uh they got a bunch of races on Saturday. They got the big eight prelims, which is the prelims to the the Sunday feature for the national short track championship. They also have a super late model invitational for anybody that doesn't want to race on Sunday, which the invitational is pretty much anybody could show up. <laughs> so and, um, and anybody, anybody being the retired Richie Bickle. Richie Bickle's coming back for one last yep. hurrah. 
I swear you could never keep the old guys out of them cars. They're going to find some way to get into it. Um, no, that's going to be exciting. I've, I've only been to Rockford a handful of times. Always liked that track. It's a very unique track. I'm glad I'm able to, to go there one last time before they end up shutting the, the track down. Yeah. So this is what they, and if you listen to the racing nuggets podcast, this is what they're calling their last lap season. So yep. um, kind of on that note, you guys, we have to, you got to support our short tracks and, and we've really opened our eyes to that this year. If there's a, if there's a track you can get to on a weekend, spend the $15 and go in and see at the end of the race, after the race is over, you can go in the pits, go in there and, and yep. hang out with the guys and have a drink with them, do whatever after the races, um, do Take that. Family. Yeah. Go, go in and watch your tracks. Um, that's support your short tracks. So, um, kind of building off of that one race I'm kind of looking at is, um, going back to the dirt scene way South, you have the hunt the front super dirt series. Um, another YouTube channel that I've followed very close for the last two or three years now. Um, you have Joseph Joyner of hunt the front racing leading the hunt the front super dirt series, uh, point saying so. Only one win on the season with that with that series. Um, they're going to the Talladega short track. So right in the neighborhood with the cup guys, just <laughs> on the dirt side. So what an awesome weekend for that. Um, he's been there twice previously this year. Um, so I'm keeping an eye on him. Um, in April, he was there with the World of Outlaws. He finished third in the B main, one spot out of the feature. So didn't make the feature, but he was there with the big dogs. Um August 12th, he was there with the Ironman late model series and finished second. So he's got laps there. Um, he is just a small four points ahead in that point series. So I'm keeping an eye on on the hunt the front guys and uh seeing what what Joey can do down there with what it, I would consider an in-house series for them. So Cam, what do you got? You think Hunt the Front set that dirt series up and said, here, let's look at a list of 20 tracks that we run really well at. And then let's, create, <laughs> <laughs> and then let's create a dirt series. No, I don't, I don't know. He, we love, we he struggled. He struggled most of the year until now. He's been He's racing from behind, honestly, which has been crazy because they go to Magnolia. They go to... East Alabama Motor Speedway. They go to all the tracks that he's run week or weekly or for specials. So it's been an interesting dynamic down there with that series. Yeah. And I'm just giving them crap. Uh, we obviously love Hunt the Front. We've watched yeah. for three, four years now. So um, just giving them a hard time. But <clears throat> staying on the dirt um, series this weekend, I am looking ahead at Lucas Oil the Lucas Oil Dirt Late Model Series. Um, this is the last weekend before we crown a champion in late October. Um, so the last two races of the year will be October 20th and 21st at Eldora, and we'll crown a champion there. But we got two races this weekend, Friday, September 9th, Raceway 7 for Great Lakes 50. We got a, in Ohio, 12,000 50-lap feature. Um, we've alluded to it before Ricky Thornton Jr. is on a tear. Um, 
This race was canceled last year, so we don't really have any anything to go off of. But if somebody's going to go and try to make a run at Ricky Thornton Jr. in the points, you have to figure it's got to be a clean sweep of these last four races. And so it's got to start Friday night. Hudson O'Neill's 435 points behind in the points, so within striking distance, but you got to go and turn on the Jets, and J.D.'s sitting at 780 points behind. So that's Friday night, 716-mile track. So they're racing at a bull ring tonight, so we're, we are beginning the track, to say the least. Um, go to a bigger speedway, higher speeds, more aero. Um, so that'll be interesting. And then uh, Saturday not at Raceway 7, they are heading to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, Motor Speedway. So $30,000 to win, 75-lap feature, um, so another big show. Um, and, again, another big track. It's a half mile, um, so they call it world's baddest half mile. So um, if anybody has anything for Ricky Thornton Jr., it's got to start this weekend. Um yeah. You've got these guys, Hudson O'Neill and Jonathan Davenport, I feel like are the only realistic guys that um, have a chance at knocking knocking off Ricky Thornton Jr. And if they want to make a late season push here at the points and try to win this whole thing, it's got to start this weekend. So um, kind, of, kind of a NASCAR playoff series there, looking at points coming down the stretch here. And um, – It'll be interesting to see. So those will be two races I'll be watching this weekend. Just keep an eye on to see if anybody has anything for Ricky or if he continues this outrageous season. Another one I want to bring up real quick, the Brian Clawson 39 at the Indy uh, Dirt Track in Indy. Brian Clawson, the late great, uh, one of the great driver in the dirt scene, sprint cars, midgets, ran some Indy car here for a little bit, lost his life in a racing accident. Uh, it's just one of the great events on the year as far as memorializing a guy that did so much to the the dirt scene. Um, so they got a four-day show. Unfortunately, Wednesday today that we're recording due to internet gremlins, uh, it was rained out. But again, for four-day show, again, just a great race for a great individual. Yeah, and that's, side note, that is where if, if you kind of watch some of the documentaries that have come out on that, that's where the 7 BC for Tyler Courtney comes from. So that, that, that name doesn't disappear. It's, it's around every week at the track when sunshine shows up with that sprint car. Um, that's a pretty cool deal that it's always, it, it's the seven BC. It's not the seven something or another for Tyler Courtney. Yeah. Um, so um, that's, that's a pretty cool deal there for him. So very, very cool on that side as well. Um, all right, so last segment here we got for you guys before we uh, kind of wrap up the podcast. So we're going to go ahead and take our NASCAR Cup Series winners. So the bottom of the bottom, why don't you go ahead there, Mr. Van Grill, and go ahead and pick your winner yeah. for Talladega this I, week. Uh, and it was last by a long shot. I was fourth <laughs> at a three-man race, literally, quite literally. I was fourth at a three-man race. Can we set the scene? If you guys didn't watch last week's episode, towards the end of the episode, I said, Cameron, the tire changer, 
gets paralysis by analysis. He gets so much information in his head, he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> and so as he's analyzing his fantasy race, there's one other individual in our league who has fallen off and not playing anymore. Doesn't look at his lineup, doesn't set up his lineup or at all. For note, he has Jimmy Johnson in his lineup weekly. Weekly. Yes. And our tire changer, Cam, <laughs> found a way to lose to somebody who is not participating. So you talk about a rough week. Um, yeah. It's tough when you lose to somebody who hasn't opened the app in four months. But anyways. <laughs> On that point, I did no anal- no analytics to this. Pick one. I, I'm just picking a driver. I mentioned earlier, I like the team aspect. I'm going Brad Keselowski. I think he's going to pull it off. Them guys are hot. They work well together. I I like Brad K this weekend. Well, he's picking a manufacturer that's had no speed all year, but go ahead, Cam. <laughs> hey, but we got their gas, well, man. Well, he is RFK. Somebody they have been when they show up to. They're the Fords speed, that have speed. They are the Fords oh. that have speed, and then not only that, Brad K is. For better or for worse, he is always at the middle pushing somebody when they don't need to be pushed. So he'll pu- he will push them out of the way to wreck the field <laughs> when it comes down. Yeah. But yeah. he'll push his teammate to win, which he did at Daytona. <laughs> yeah. I literally saw a meme. It was the guy, uh his guy from Hall Pass. I can't remember the movie's the actor's name, but he's standing there, he goes like this. And it's um it's the can you imagine? Uh, RFK finishing one two again at Talladega. <laughs> yes, so, it, again, a little bit of a re not even a little bit a reasonable sleeper pick. I, I do like that. That's that's a good pick. But Cam, what do you got? You're you're number two here, Tiger. I'm gonna go with somebody who we've all put in our final four, don't have them winning it, but somebody who is very strategic in how he races these, you betcha, how he races these restrictor plates. I'm going Denny Hamlin. Um, That typed in before you even said it. It's just somebody who I feel like he always, he has a great strategy and he executes at these tracks. He knows when to get out and to go to the back and he knows when to get in it and when to be there. He's his crew always calls good restrictor plate races and it comes down to the driver to executing it. And he always, he's always going to be somebody that I think will be there at the end and have a chance, you know, coming to two laps to go somebody who is in the second or third row and is going to be the first one to take a third line and somebody's going to go with them and somebody I can go. So I like Denny. Um, they always got good strategy at restrictor plates. He always executes. He knows when he's got to be in it and be in the thick of it. And he knows when to get out and ride around in the back. So um putting Denny in Victor Lane, lock himself into the next round. And uh it's one step forward or one step closer to putting himself in the championship four. Yep. So I'm gonna go. So I'm gonna, I'm really just gonna go. We're just gonna cover it all tonight. We got we got a Ford in one camp. 
Yeah. We got a Toyota in one camp. I'm gonna take the short track, uh, the short track superhero in the five of Kyle Larson. Oh. And I'm gonna take him in the sense of he's gonna have enough Chevys to help him out to get there. Um, I think there's going to be enough conversation with William Byron being in already that William Byron, yes, he's going to do what he needs to do to continue to gain points and, and stay ahead. But I do think there's going to be a conversation in the Chevy camp that he is the most viable option to get Chevy through to the next round. Um, I think that's where he's going to strive. So I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb I'm gonna go from the little the little short the little short tracks to the super speedways to take Kyle Larson. So very wide variety of picks here. Yeah, we went we went three different camps and three different manufacturers in that sense. So it's gonna be an interesting, interesting Sunday. Yes. So yes, it is. Um God, that's been that's been wild. So um, what do you guys got for any last thoughts here as we kind of wrap up episode number two for Tuesday track talk? Uh, one thing that we didn't really get to talk about, but I think it's worth at least a, a shout out. Uh, the Valley Credit Union 300 at Martinsville this past weekend. Uh, very good race, very controversial race. Yeah. Uh, but Trevor Ward ends up winning that one. Um, Landon Hoffman, who I've been kind of a fan of as far as the late model stock scene goes, I've been a fan of him. He side by side, didn't bump him out of the way, got a lot of respect for that. Just straight up raced him and didn't beat him. Um, no, good race overall. Questionable on my part as far as format and, and some of the racing in that, but that's a discussion for another day. But no, Martinsville uh, proving why that's that race with the late mile stocks, there's always a, a good race to go to. On that note, I didn't watch race. Well, I tuned in a little bit, watched a little bit of a heat race, guys doing wild stuff as the green flag drops and tearing stuff up just as we cross the start finish line to start a race. Yeah. So wild stuff. Um, you got guys throwing haymakers in the pits. Um, can I, can I make a comment on that? Yeah. I've, seen, I've seen a little bit on the social media. You got two two crews brawling. You have the purple 42. I don't know who the fella is. If yep. you watch, if you watch, I I I'm here for you, dude. He's in the car, the window net's up, he's locked in and ready to go. And you have two crews throwing it down, and they end up on the hood of his car, the hood smashed in, the fender is wrinkled. If oh, I was that crew, and I'm again, livid. props. Props to the guy that worked on that car, that older gentleman. I, if you if you see this, by God, the hat off to you for not getting yourself in the middle of that because your car is getting ready to go out to make out probably the biggest late-mile stock race of the year. Yeah. And you haven't even gone onto the track, and your hood is wrinkled, your fender is tore up, and you had nothing to do with any of it. So hats off to that crew for – literally taking the high road in what was a disaster of a heat race at that point because they smashed up some serious equipment so i just saw that right away and i'm like just just leave the 42 alone and of course 
the guy ends up on his back on the hood and the hood is wrinkled and the quarter smashed down and the, the hood pins are all smashed up. I'm like, good Lord guys, come on. Yeah. Throwing fists in the pit road. And then I don't, I forget what his name is. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing and it's not funny, but the guy that <clears throat> supposedly got screwed where he was in the lucky dog. Oh Yeah. Yeah, he said he was in the lucky dog spot for laps. Oh. In the race, like I said God it was it. It was a controversial race. Controversial race. He was. He but I, at the end of the day, at, yeah, for real, it, it was funny. But at the end of the day, it's you're. Not, it's not funny, dude. <laughs> he, he was. <laughs> and he called he called out the race director after the oh, race too by name but literally by first and last name yikes poor, that poor fella but no um i would say you know i think looking at it that's those are two two really good wrap-ups for for what's been a a wild weekend, both from the dirt and from the asphalt. Um, again, at the end of the day, if you guys can get to a short track or if you can get to a NASCAR race, be there. Um, yep. That's that's what keeps the sport around. And and I think we are three testaments to this is if you can get to a track, they will take care of you. The experience is unreal. The drivers are awesome to talk to. Um, always, always be there. So. Um, support your local drivers. If you, if you can buy, if you can buy a $20 t-shirt, if you can do it, absolutely do it. Um, they, goes a long they ways. it goes a long ways for them. And, and you think $20 here and $20 there, but at the end of the day, um, we've got three different guys on tonight just by coincidence. Um, but a $20 shirt for a guy that runs weekly at Golden Sands or State Park or Madison or wherever, um, that goes further than what they think. So Absolutely. Uh, always look out for them. So, yeah, oh what are God. you laughing at down there? I can see you. Go ahead and enlighten us with something brilliant. So it's, it's Connor Hall. Oh, he's talking. Yeah, he he's the one that didn't get his uh, lap back. Okay, yep. Yeah. Fill us in because we we kind of missed the boat on this. Go ahead. He finished forty. It was like forty nine laps down or something like that. Forty five laps down. He finished. Wow. Hey. Maybe the dude didn't have a transponder that was keeping laps. Oh Give the guy a break. God. Said, said he was denied the lucky dog every every chance yeah. that he was in it. Yeah. But dude, no. he would be in that helmet. <laughs> Give me a break, dude. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Gosh. He must have pissed off the wrong person in the heat race. I don't know who. Yikes! I I saw the tweet. I don't remember who it was off ahead, which is it's not good for us. <laughs> but um, now that I got it together, yeah, it's Connor Hall. He finished forty five laps. Oh, that's your that's your NASCAR weekly 
That's your NASCAR weekly champion. Yes, that <laughs> he, is. He, was, he was in the lucky dog spot and he was denied it every time he was in the lucky dog spot. Jeepers. That's Connor Hall now. That, yep, that's right. But that poor guy, dude, he's probably yeah. just racing his tail off. I would be in the helmet going, What are they doing? Are they watching oh. the same race? Well, Van Grohl, that's no different than D'Angelo sat the Dells when we were there. Oh, my. He had a few colorful words for race control for the Jim Sauter Classic. Uh, as he's coming out of the pits, they mark him a lap down. He gets back. What was the lucky dog? And then they go, well, you got to race back here. And he goes, I'm not racing. He had a few colorful words, but I'm not racing back here with these guys. Um, yeah. And then the last restart, he jumped to the outside, and he went. He just gassed it up and got out of there. But same scenario. So, um, hey, man, I think this has been an awesome, awesome episode, too. Yes. Um, we went from the asphalt from week one to the dirt to week two. Um, we covered a little bit of everything from NASCAR to the Lucas Oil Dirt Supers to – late model stock cars out on the East coast. Uh, this has been an awesome, awesome episode too. For anybody that listens, always like comment, subscribe, drop those comments on what you want us to cover, man. We're more than happy to cover races that we can, we can view and get to and, and talk about anything that you guys want to listen to for analysis of races. So um, always like, let us know what we what you want to hear, and uh, we'll see you guys all next week on episode three. Stay yep. tuned.